Don't you love how God just already has a plan in advance? Uh, they sang this song uh, first hour, and I realized the end of my message, the conclusion of my message is all about how God breaks chains. And then the song comes up, how God breaks chains. So just listen to those words. At the mention of your name, every chain will break. At the mention of your name, those strongholds will be broken. There's so much in the Bible about Jesus' name. Salvation is found in Jesus' name. When he returns, every knee will bow, every tongue will confess at Jesus' name. God, thank you for your grace, your mercy, your love, your forgiveness. At the very mention of your name, God, we know that, that things change, that lives are changed, that, that chains are broken, that new life is brought back. And God, today we worship you, we honor you. And we thank you for just just seeing the very best in us. And even when we're at our very worst, God, you still love us. You still care for us. You still give us that that grace that we need every day. And God, we, we celebrate that. We celebrate who you are today. God, we honor you. We worship you. Amen. Just the mention. Oh, just the whisper. Oh, just the mention. Oh, just the whisper. Oh. Well, I want to invite you guys tonight. I mentioned last week we are having a, a vision casting session tonight around a bonfire for our Project 215, this new worship gathering for Sunday nights, specifically targeted toward a younger generation. And so uh, if you are coming to that tonight, let us know. There's a sign-up list out here. Uh, we're going to be coming together and celebrating, but also worshiping tonight. <clears throat> and despite the email that you got earlier, someone mentioned to me between services, I got auto-corrected. It was supposed to be hot dogs and s'mores. It ended up coming out hot dogs and smokes. So tonight, we're going to have some hot dogs and smokes around the fire. We wanted to start this young adult thing off right, all right? (laughs) So anyway, uh, let us know if you're coming tonight. Also, it's cool to have uh, TJ and Shelly Caudill here today. Uh, Those of you who are from back in the uh, movie theater days and back in the old worship center, you'll remember those guys. They left us for a long time. Went to Wisconsin. They're moving back to uh, the uh, the Columbus area. Go Bucks! And so they're here uh, today with us celebrating. And also, Brian, who's been leading worship for us off and on over the last few months, uh, is, is, his family is still at Southbrook Church up in Dayton, and so he is going to uh, be up in that area with his family. So he won't be with us as much, and uh, we may see him from time to time. But if you see Brian, just appreciate his ministry and what he's done here for us over the last uh, few months. Uh, the Washington Post uh, has every few years uh, a, a kind of a 
kind of a little campaign, I guess, to take some words that we have, change one letter, add a letter, take away a letter, and come up with a new definition and recommend a new definition. And so these are some of the more recent words that they came up with, people that actually gave these words to the Washington Post. Here's the first word. They made it the word intoxication, intoxication. Anybody know what they defined intoxication as? It's that feeling of euphoria that you get when you get a tax refund and then when it leaves because you realize it was your money in the first place. Intoxication, okay? How about reintardination? Reintardination. Anybody know what that means? Reintardination is that you die and you come back as a hillbilly. <laughs> reintardination. I can say that. I was born in Tennessee, raised in North Carolina. It's all good. Uh, how about this one? My favorite one. Inoculate. Inoculate. It's when you don't have time for a coffee and you just take it intravenously on your way to work. All right? Inoculate. All right, you can think about that one. Okay, how about Beelzebub? Beelzebub? It's when Satan shows up as a mosquito. Anybody ever been there? Beelzebub? All right. And uh, here's the last one. The last one is Carmageddon. Now, Carmageddon, karma is the idea of things coming back around or it's when everybody is uh, sort of sending off these really bad vibes, right? Carmageddon is when everybody in the world is sending off really bad vibes and the earth eventually explodes. Carmageddon. Now, here's my thing about that. What I realized today is there's an awful lot of people who are uh, kind of dealing with a Carmageddon-type experience. In other words, they're pretty frazzled, stressed out, on the edge, living with some type of Carmageddon going on in their life today. And, the, and in the middle of that, that is really where the Apostle Paul speaks into some words into our lives. It's found in Philippians chapter 4, verse 4. My favorite, one of my top five favorite verses in all the Bible. Always be full of joy in the Lord. I will say it again, rejoice. Rejoice in the Lord always. I will say it again, rejoice. And when we read that verse, we think that's such a positive verse. That's such a hope-filled verse. That's such a nice verse. Except when we read it, we think, I don't know if that's actually even possible, right? Because that one little word, what? Always. I mean, if it said be full of joy, we'd be like, yes. If it was like, hey, consider joy most of the time, we'd be like, we're on board. But the fact that he says rejoice in the Lord always throws us off a bit because we, we filter this verse through our real lives. And we say, is it even possible to be joyful all the time? And so I want to just tell you, today we're going to talk about some reasons why people aren't joyful. And then we're going to talk about the most joyful person ever. And then I'm going to give you some tips on how to find more joy that came right out of the scripture in John chapter 15. So I do find, and maybe you do too, it can be hard to be joyful today. And I think it's hard to be joyful in difficult circumstances it's hard to stay optimistic about life when you're in the midst of some challenging Carmageddon-type experiences, uh, where there's friction in your family, or there's high stress in your career, or there are a stack of financial issues or legal issues that you have to deal with. And you know what I find? It's, it's even more difficult today because the news around us is so negative all the time. You wake up, you watch TV, you're ready for a good, joyful day, you turn on Bad Morning America right away, and you're hearing all these stories about just things you're not even sure if they're true, but it just seems so negative today. And then in the middle of that, you're on your way to work, and you turn on the radio, and you hear about a traffic backup on I-71 or I-75. You know it's not going to be a good day. And then when you go to work and you face those stressful situations, you're just ready to go home, 
and, and when you get home, you're ready to just kind of relax a little bit. And you get online and you're on social media and you kind of see all of the negativity that's out there. And then you turn on the television and you watch some, some kind of really, really challenging TV program. And, and it seems like a lot of the TV we watch these days are, are about really, really, really tragic things. It's, it's difficult to be joyful in tough circumstances. It's also tough to be joyful when you're dealing with difficult people. There are people that are hard to get along with, people who criticize you or damage you, or rub you the wrong way, or they frustrate you or raise your blood pressure. And it's hard to stay positive when you're dealing with difficult people. And so how do you do that? I've, I've found that tough over the years, too. I remember my first ministry, uh, we were at a little church in outside of Columbus, Ohio, Midway Christian Church, had 15 people for my first weekend, 15 for church, 13 for Sunday school. We had good retention, but low numbers, all right? And I remember, I mean, back in those days, I was doing everything. I would mow the lawn. I would clean the baptistry. We had this old country water that would never get clear. I didn't know any different. I poured bleach in there, a whole bottle of chlorine bleach into the baptistry. Uh, we baptized this lady who was brunette. She came out blonde, so it wasn't all, wasn't all bad. That's a joke. But anyway, so, I mean, these were, the, these were the good old days. I mean, where it was like you, you were involved in everything, and you're trying to help, and and, uh, and, and you're just trying to work and see people come to Christ. And, and at that time, I was even involved in worship a lot. And we had a lady who came, she said, I want to start playing piano. We said, that's great. She's actually a really good piano player. And, uh, but then she got more and more involved in the service planning. And, and one day, I added something to the service. And it didn't go through her approval. And boy, it just really made her mad. And right after service, right after I'd preached, she came to my office and slammed all the music books down on my desk. And she was just irate. And, uh, oh, and by the way, during that worship, she, when it came to offering time, she looked at me and said, I'm not playing today. And uh, that's, how, that's how that went down. But anyway, she slammed all her books on my desk, and she said, you're not my spiritual leader, and, and uh, my husband's my spiritual leader. She said, uh, she said uh, you're immature. And uh, I, said, Lie, I said, liar, liar, pants on fire. That's what I said. That's, no, I didn't say that. But anyway, she's so irritated and irate. It's one of the first moments in my ministry I was 21 years old and where I'd faced, you know, criticism and real criticism. Uh, since then, <laughs> I faced a lot worse than that. But anyway, that was, uh, that was back then. And, and, but it devastated me. I remember I was so um, upset. I called my mom and dad. It was a Sunday afternoon. I'm calling my mom. They're both on the line, you know. And I'm like, this, like, this is what happened. I can't believe this. And my mom, this was her response. She said, I can't believe she let the devil get in her. That was what my mom said. It made, somehow that made me feel better, you know, to have my mom say that the devil was in that woman somehow encouraged me. But anyway, so, um, but this was, uh, this was what she said. And, 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 boy, I tried to really connect with that family for a long time. I remember I'd preach, and, and they would just sit out there and scowl, you know. And I'd hold out my hand and good to have you all here today, and they'd walk right on by. And I'd go to their home and try to say, can we reconcile this? And it doesn't seem like a, you know, no. And, and uh, boy, I, in the middle of that, I learned some really valuable lessons. And, and one of the biggest ones was this. I am not going to allow her or anybody else to rob my joy or, or to affect uh, what I think about the Lord or about what God wants me to do. And, uh, and, uh, and then in the middle of it, too, I was like, one thing that encouraged me, I was like, I'm so glad. Man, I feel so bad for her husband. I mean, I mean, I mean it would be tough to live with her, man. And uh, that somehow that encouraged me too. But um, Now, listen, I, I've faced you know, much worse than that over the years, but I, I've learned that 
you have to be broad-shouldered enough to let things be, to leave room for differences. You have to be broad-shouldered enough to take the, the criticism of people and those kind of things and still continue on. Friends, it is possible to continue to be joyful even when people are not. But I can tell you this, it's not possible to be joyful when you are holding on to bitterness. It's not possible to be joyful when you are holding on to resentment. So you have to let that go. I've also learned it's difficult to be joyful when you're exhausted. There's this old proverb that says, you will break the bow if you always keep it bent. And we have this idea that if we just keep going with the Energizer Bunny, boy, we're just going to keep going. There are no limitations for us. But we do have limitations, physical limitations, emotional limitations. And this comes out at, at all kinds of times. When you are uh, more exhausted, you are more irritable. When you're more exhausted, you're less patient. When you're more exhausted, you just fall asleep at random times. Uh, this last week, we went to watch Cars, the movie, with uh, our two boys. And, and I'm used to going to the Lebanon Theater. $5, sticky floors, old chairs, $11, you can get all-you-can-eat popcorn and a Coke. I mean, it's, it's great. I mean, I, I really enjoy those movies. Jason was like, hey, I really want to go to a, a better theater. And so we went down here to the Regal. I didn't even hardly know this existed. Leather chairs, recliners. I knew as soon as I sat down, I was in real trouble. $15 and something for a popcorn and Coke. And uh, very expensive. So I sat back. Right at the critical moment of Cars 3, I won't tell you what it was, but it was in the final race, something, something happens. And right at that moment, I fell asleep. And I woke up, and things had changed at the end of the movie. And I'm like, what happened? I watched the end of the movie, but I missed how that transpired. Something changed in the middle of that race. I asked Jason, I was like, what happened? What happened in the middle of this? Because somewhere in the middle of that, in that nice recliner, I had dozed off in the middle of Cars 3. When I get exhausted, I make more mistakes. And, and, and what you notice is when you're exhausted, it's hard to be joyful. Let me give you one more. It's hard to be joyful when you're living in sin. As much as sin may be fun for the moment, it ultimately will show up in your life. The Bible says, be sure of this, your sins will find you out. And they'll find you out either by being exposed in some way, they'll find you out in your body, in your physical body, or your emotional health. I've seen it time and time again. People who go through times often of discouragement or depression, sometimes it's based on a tragedy in their life. Many times it's based on the fact that they are living in some incongruent way. What they say they want to do is not actually what they are doing. And so you have to be careful with that too. Well, the guy who wrote the words, always be full of joy, really had more challenging circumstances, more challenges with people than any of us will ever have. In fact, he was attacked by an out-of-control mob that nearly killed him. He was misidentified by the Romans as, as, as an inciter, almost a terrorist. And when, when he was in prison, he was sentenced in Jerusalem. There was a, a foiled assassinated, assassination plot that took place on his life. He was escorted by 470 soldiers to a town called Caesarea by the sea. A witness lied about him, and he became the focal point of a religious trial and political maneuvering, and he was imprisoned for two years. Then finally, as a Roman citizen, he appealed to Caesar, and they were going to ship him off. And in the middle of that ship ride, he was, uh, he was shipwrecked and was left on an island called Malta. While on Malta... He, he was uh, bitten by a poisonous snake. 
And, uh, and it, pretty much people at that point were voting him off the island. This dude is bad luck. Now, nobody in here had it as bad as the Apostle Paul. And yet, somewhere in the middle of that, he wrote, Always be filled with joy. In fact, in the last little bit of his life, the Apostle Paul was chained to a Roman guard 24-7. Imagine, no privacy. Couldn't go anywhere by yourself. There was always that Roman guard there. And Paul was, was, was very familiar with pain. And yet he said it again, rejoice. You know, I think he was that way because he had met the most joyful person in the universe. And no, it is not Katie Couric. It is the God of the universe who gives more joy. Now, I know that seems sort of counterintuitive because a lot of us have an impression of God that God's not really that joyful. In fact, if you grew up in church, many of you grew up in church experiences that were not joyful at all. Some of you grew up in church experiences that were like, don't smile, don't laugh, don't be that way. Settle down, right? Because that's just how it is. And so when you came to a church like Axis, you go, wait a minute, why are they smiling? Why are they laughing? Why are they having so much fun? Like, it's hard to believe. And then you suddenly realize that God is a God of joy. And I think the implications of the fact that we see God this way, there are implications of that because when people in the church are not filled with joy, people interpret God as a God who's not filled with joy. And there's an implication, too, for the life of the church because people see Christians, and they say, well, I definitely don't want to be that because those guys are sticks in the mud, and there's no way I want to be like that. But friends, we serve a God of joy. In fact, Galatians chapter 5 says one of the fruit of the Spirit is joy. Dallas Willard, in his book, The Divine Conspiracy, writes about a time he was teaching in South Africa, and a guy took him out to see the beaches of Port Elizabeth. And he writes, I was totally unprepared for the experience. I'd seen beaches, or so I thought, but we came over the rise when the sea and the land opened to us. I stood in stunned silence and slowly walked toward the waves. Words cannot capture the view that confronted me. I saw space and light and texture and color and power that seemed hardly of this earth. Gradually there crept into my mind the realization that God sees this all the time. He sees it, experiences it, Knows it from every possible point of view. This and billions of other scenes like it and unlike it in this and billions of other worlds. Great tidal waves of joy must constantly wash through his being. It is perhaps strange to say, but suddenly I was extremely happy for God. I thought I had some sense of what infinitely joyous consciousness he is and what it might have meant for him to look at his creation and find it very good. We're fascinated by a tropical fish tank with a few fish. We're looking at that. Man, God gets the universe to look at every day. But the capstone of his creation was mankind. And in Zephaniah chapter 3, verse 17, it says what God thinks about us. It says, the Lord your God is with you, and he is mighty to save. He will take great delight in you. He will quiet you with his love. He will rejoice over you with singing. Think about that. What brings God the greatest joy is you and me. I mean, God looks at you like a parent who loves their child, and he just breaks out in singing over his children. Anybody in here ever make up songs about your kids? Anybody in here when they were growing up just sing strange 
random songs you just break out in singing? I hear people say sometimes, oh, you've got teenagers. Oh, bless your heart. I can't believe you got teenagers. You know, it's so tough. I love having teenagers. <laughs> I mean, they're so much fun. I mean, it's fun to have their friends around. It's fun to see them grow up. I remember my mom saying when I was growing up, what a joy it was to watch her kids grow up. And I have some sense of that today. You see, God takes joy in his children. He really does. And you know what? In John chapter 15, Jesus' closest friends were dealing with some moments of discouragement because Jesus had just told them he was going to die and be resurrected. And these guys were discouraged. In the middle of that, Jesus talks to them in a very personal way. And I think through this, we're going to find out more about what it means to be joyful. Because if you want more joy in your life, here's how you get it. First, I would say you need to remain in the Lord. Remain in the Lord. John 15, verse 5 says, I'm the vine, you're the branches. These are Jesus' words. If a man remains in me and I in him, he will bear much fruit. Apart from me, you can do nothing. If anyone does not remain in me, is like a branch that's thrown away and withers. Such branches are picked up, thrown into the fire, and burned. If you remain in me and my words remain in you, ask whatever you wish and it will be given to you. This is to my Father's glory that you bear much fruit, showing yourselves to be my disciples. He says, listen, you want joy, true joy? Remain close to the Father. Remain close to the Father. The further you drift, the more you will find your joy drifting. And that is especially true, that you stay closer to the Lord in the midst of times of difficulty and trial and temptation and when you're around difficult people. Make sure you are drifting closer to the Lord, not further away. Sin robs you of your joy. Moving away from the Lord robs you of your joy. Remain in Him. He will remain in you. His joy will be your joy. Okay? The second one is, realize that you're loved. Look what it says in verse 9. As, my Father, as the Father has loved me, so I have loved you. Now remain in my love. If you obey my commands, you will remain in my love, just as I've obeyed my Father's commands and remain in His love. <laughs> Listen to what he says here. I've told you this so that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be complete. Some of the most joyless, broken down, depressed people in this world are the people who have never experienced love from the most important people in their lives. And they feel unloved, unwanted. And when people see that, they, there's less joy. But, it, man, do you want more joy in your life? Realize how much God loves you. Realize the change he makes. Acts chapter 6 is one of my favorite stories in all the Bible. It's about a guy from Ethiopia. And he is riding in a chariot. And suddenly, one of the followers of Christ named Philip shows up and says, Hey, you're reading the Old Testament, the scripture, Isaiah. Can I help you understand it? And the Ethiopian goes, Yeah, I don't get it. And so... Philip begins to explain to him the scripture about what Jesus does for him, how God loves him, and what he did through Christ. The Ethiopian eunuch immediately realizes, I need a relationship with this God of the universe through Christ, his son, and I want to get to know him personally. And Philip says, all right, let's, let's go. And the Ethiopian eunuch says, there's water right there as the chariot's passing. Why can't I be baptized? And Philip goes, let's go. Let's do it. And so they take him down into the water. He baptizes him. And, and this is what it says about the Ethiopian at that point. He went on his way rejoicing. 
he went on his way with joy. Why? Because before that moment, he didn't have forgiveness. Before that moment, he didn't have grace. Before that moment, he didn't understand the love of God. But after that moment, he embraced grace, embraced forgiveness, understood heaven was his ultimate home. And that's, that's, that's my favorite moment, too. There's nothing like, in all of what we do in church, I mean, there's a lot of fun things that happen around here, so much that I love about our church, but there is nothing more that I love than when somebody says, I want Christ to be the Lord and leader of my life. Nothing brings more joy than that. And they, and they say, I want to, to be a part of his family. And they come and they, they, they go to, into our horse trough and they go, I want to take the plunge. And our kids from Kids Church all come marching over, and they stand. They're like, this is great. And the people that help lead, lead, lead this person to that point, they're all joined around the horse trough, and they're about to celebrate this moment where somebody's about to go from death to life. And if I had time, I would tell you about literally hundreds, hundreds of stories of people who have come to faith in Christ. I can think of a few that really rise to the top. I think about a guy named Chris. Chris was in the back of church in a wheelchair. His body was being overtaken by some very debilitating disease. He was not able to move his his body at all. He could only speak and move his head. At some point, Christ invaded his existence, and Chris goes, I want Christ to be the Lord and leader of my life. And and then we go, well, how are we going to baptize him? <laughs> um, and so we say, we work it out with the local YMCA because we had to have people carry him into the baptistry. And so we get to the local YMCA after church that day, and everybody's gathered around the pool, and he's got six men gathered around this cloth stretcher. And we're holding Chris in this cloth stretcher, and we go down the steps together. And we're, we're in the water now, and Chris is laid in the stretcher, and water is over him. And I say, Chris, do you believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God? Do you want him to be the Lord and leader of your life? He said, I do. And I said, Chris, upon your profession of faith, the six of us are now going to baptize you in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. And I was like, one, two, three. And we raised him up out of the water. And man, in every way, his face and voice expressed probably what his body wanted to be able to express, which was sheer and utter joy. Not too different than Alexa after first hour this morning, who as the last song was happening, caught me as I was in the back and said, I want Jesus to be the Lord and leader of my life. And she said, I want to be baptized this next weekend. I want my family to be there. And we had her, she said, do I have to stand before everybody? I said, yes, you do. So we had her stand up here and she confessed that she wanted Christ to be the leader of her life. Nothing brings more joy than when somebody says, I want Christ to lead my life. Because why? Because you get forgiveness and grace and heaven and hope and joy. You realize you're loved. And friends, let me tell you, you are highly loved by the God of the universe. So when you're dealing with difficult people, you remember how much God loves you. Remember how much he cares. 
And the last thing I would say is you need to raise the love quotient in your life. If you want joy in your life, raise the love quotient in your life. Verse 12 of John 15 says, my command is this, love each other as I've loved you. Greater love is no one than this, that he lay down his life for his friends. Isn't it interesting, this kind of thought that if you remain in him, your life will overflow with joy and its love will be in you. I've learned over the years that nothing brings more joy than being able to show love to other people. Being able to take the focus off of yourself and turn the attention onto somebody else. You know, two weeks ago when we were in Appalachia, and or Appalachia, I don't really know, but we were helping Mr. Walter and Miss Kay get water to their home. And when I say home, I really mean shed. And we go about 40 minutes from where we had, were in Prestonsburg, Kentucky, we travel through the mountains and the hillsides, and we get to his shed. His shed is a one room. It has a little stove to the left. Then there's a couch. There's their bed. And then they have a compost toilet. And their compost toilet um, obviously does not take running water, but it's right there in their home, all in the same room. Mr. Walter and Miss Kay had not had water for five years, and so our group was assigned the task of digging an eight. 80-foot-long trench, three feet deep, to provide water in a PVC pipe down to his home. And as of Tuesday this week, they finished the work that we had started, and he was able to take that shower for the first time. He had water in his home. And uh, just a great, tremendous blessing. Yeah, yeah. And the, and the amazing thing is, as, as great as it was, for him to get water, and as touched as he was, and every time that he got a little tearful, he'd go, oh, I'm a little tired, I need to go on inside. What we really knew was he was he's tearing up, you know. And what we really, really realized was it wasn't Mr. Walter or Miss Kay that were the most blessed. It was the people that were in the middle of that three-foot deep trench and were digging and in the middle of the heat because there's just something about helping other people that helps take the focus off your own stuff and puts it onto the right place. Something that helps give you perspective in life. Something that helps change your mentality. Friends, if you want joy, raise the love quotient in your life. Make sure that when you are uh, loving other people, you'll find there's more joy in giving than receiving, for sure. So here's the Apostle Paul, chained to a Roman soldier, 24-7, and he's there, and in the middle of all of that, in the middle of having people that rejected him, in the middle of having uh, the most challenging of circumstances, he writes those words, those beautiful words, always be filled with joy. And I don't know about you, but maybe some of you guys, you feel that you are chained today. Some of you may be chained by an imperfect body. 24-7. Some of you live life in like, like Chris did in a very difficult physical situation. Some of you have a debilitating illness. And, and you could be bitter about that or down about that because life can be difficult. Or like the Apostle Paul today, you can say, I'm going to take these chains and I'm going to find a way to love people and I'm going to touch people because of the God of the universe who touched and loved me with an everlasting love. And I will take what I see 
as a real challenging circumstance, and I will turn that to joy. Maybe you're a stay-at-home mom, and you feel chained 24-7 to your little ones, even though you had dreams uh, now, you have dreams now about diapers and bottles and Gerber oatmeal, and, and yet you look at it and say, I've got a college degree. You say, I've got skills. You say, I've got abilities that sometimes I feel like I'm wasting. And you go to the negative side of that thing and you think, man, I, I'm just miserable here. Or you could choose joy. And you could say, I have the chance to help my child know that he or she is a treasured child of the living God of joy. And the way that you embody that will teach your children about what it means to have joy, even when you don't feel like maybe you're doing all that you sought out to do in your life. Choose joy. Some of you feel that you're chained 24-7 every day to a career where you're miserable, and, and you don't see any way out, and you see the people you work with, and it's kind of, they're kind of like the enemy almost right now. And you say, well, I don't, God, I don't know why you put me in this situation. And Paul could have done that. He could have taken that moment, chained to that prison guard 24-7 and said, why did you put me in this situation, God? But he didn't. He chose joy. And instead of seeing it as a negative, he saw it as an opportunity. Hey, this guy's chained to me 24-7. I could just share the love of Christ with him every day. And so he took the negative, turned it to a positive. And, and, and the Bible says that there is something that's really interesting that happened through the life of the Apostle Paul. Because when he was chained earlier and he was in a Philippian jail, God took his praises and turned the life around of a Philippian jailer and ultimately ended up turning the city around called Philippi because Paul took an opportunity to choose joy. And I'm just telling you guys today, you could take the opportunity today, whatever it is, whatever you feel chained to, bitterness and joy cannot coexist. You have to choose joy. Jesus said in John 16, right after this other chapter, he said, no one will take away your joy. Not circumstances, not people, not exhaustion. And friends, you need to realize today that the most, joyful, the most joyous being in the universe wants to infuse you with a life of joy. So remember the verse and live it. Always, always, always be filled with joy. No exceptions. God, thank you today for loving us and thank you for teaching us what joy is all about. The Bible says... That Jesus, when he faced the cross, for the joy that was set before him, endured the cross. For those of us who have an American mentality where joy must equal success, or success must equal joy, or prosperity must equal joy, or no hardship must equal joy, it's very difficult for us to understand how someone who's facing a death that he did not deserve, false accusations, rejection by man, <clears throat> a brutal execution, how someone facing that could possibly see joy in the middle of it. And yet the scripture is very clear, yet for the joy that was set before him, he endured the cross. How? How? Because you saw the greater good. Because you saw the purpose. 
because you endured it with love. That's what sacrifice does. And God, I pray today that all of us would see what we currently see as chains. I pray that we would turn our attention today and we would see those as opportunities for joy. And God, today we're going to celebrate you in worship. And we just want to say thank you, God. Thank you for loving us. Thank you for Jesus. Thank you for giving us joy. In Jesus' name, amen.